Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. the boys from New Bayview and we are back again to talk about yet another resounding away defeat for the Fife. I'm your host Lee Gillis, I'm joined by the beautiful, beautiful Doug Perry and Gordon Henderson. How are we doing gentlemen? Um, Yeah, wonderful, apart from the obvious, yeah. Yeah, all right, apart from football, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it could be worse. Not only do I support East Fife, but also Manchester United, who have just had a resounding defeat to Liverpool. My teams over the course of the weekend have conceded nine goals and scored one. Um, so, yeah, football is just great for me just now. Um, maybe it's just start doing a darts podcast or something instead. It might be a little bit less brutal thing to do on a, a Sunday night, but we move. But, look, you guys were there yesterday. We'll get into the nitty and gritty in a second, but first we'll hear a word from this week's sponsor. East Fife Community Football Club is proud to sponsor Glory Days of Gold. Keep up to date with all our community programmes through our Facebook and Twitter pages. There are classes available for every age and ability, from toddlers to walking football. Just search East Fife Community Football Club. Today's podcast is brought to you by John W. Gilbertson Limited, a small, friendly, family firm of solicitors based in Glenrothes, who specialise in buying and selling residential property, wills, powers of attorney and executory work. On your team, on your side, supporting you all the way to achieve your goals. Well, it is a football show after all. Thanks as always to the Eastway Community Football Club and John W. Gilbertson in Glenrothes for their ongoing support. Right, guys, another away defeat. First 45 minutes, I I was at work yesterday checking the results. I'm like, no, no, at halftime away at Montrose. Decent. You know, that looks like we're we're maybe are still in the resurgency after our win at Cove the week before. And back to life, back to reality. And within about 15 minutes, we'd conceded four goals. Doug, Obviously, first game for you in a while. You probably had that little spring in your step um, driving up to Montrose. I believe, did you even give young Gordon and his dad a lift up? Or I did. I gave I gave Gordon and dad a lift up. Um, I wouldn't say the the spirit in the camp was overly high going to the game. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, we've been around the block long enough to know that one swallow don't make a summer, whatever the phrase is. Um, but no, I, I thought, First half, we were very good. I mean, you know, both teams had chances, certainly, but I would say we had the better of them. And it was just quite even. It was, you know, I would say at halftime, you know, in general, I would say Gordon and I would have been more than happy with how things were going 
Um, and then it changed a little bit in that second half. But I can let Gordon move on with that one. Yeah, pretty much agree. First half was really good. Um, I think we were both, you know, we're saying it at half time. We're quite happy. We played well. Both teams certainly had chances and good chances. You know, if it had, if it had gone in 2 2 at half time, probably would have been quite fair. You know, and you could look at it that, well, we could have been 2 0 up before they even really got going. Um, but on the other hand, they had a couple of really good chances just before the half finished. But it was good. We were in the game, we were competing. Uh, you know, you thought this is a game that, we can potentially go on to win or we can at least get something from. But it was the same old thing again. You know, very quickly, you know, seven minutes in the second half, really poor defending from Mercer. I mean, I've looked back in it really, really poor and we concede. And then it's just the domino effect of suddenly we look shite and everyone's making mistakes all over the place and we don't look like we can defend. It's like that first goal goes in and suddenly that's it. Second goal, a really poor defender from Slattery. Um, third goal, when you look back at it, it's, it's like we talked about the Clyde game. So many East Fife defenders in the box. So many of them. And Montrose find a way to just slip a simple ball through. Chris Higgins is completely on the wrong side of his man and it's a simple ball in. Uh, fourth goal, uh, we have a throw-in and about 10 seconds later, it's a Montrose goal. You know, we just sort of, we lose the ball to Montrose just inside their own half, which we were doing constantly. And it's a simple through ball right through the back three and we score. It's just so, so easy. You know, it's like once once we go behind, it's like that's it. And that was yesterday. You know, first half was everything that we thought we've been seen an improvement in the past few weeks. Second half was just a complete condensation of everything that's been bad about us this season. Um, it's just like, what, what do you do with that? I don't know, James, you should just pack it in. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the one thing I will say about just a couple of sort of moments in the first half, uh, we actually sat in the main stand at Montrose and I pretty think it was about us three and what seemed about 300 Montrose fans, we were fairly outnumbered in the stand. So I was uh, trying my best to, you know, rein in. But I actually, I've not seen it. I've not seen either challenges back. There was a tackle in about 30 seconds that I remember I turned to you, Gordon, and I thought, I was like, oh, that was, that was potentially really bad. From, I can't remember. It was from Masson as well, I think, their, their number six. And I think if that had been later on in the game, it might have been different. But the, the one sort of 10 minutes in or whenever it was, I thought was as stick on a red as you'll see. Just a guy who'd who'd been tackled by, I can't remember who it was. Uh, oh, no, it was uh, Connell. Connell. And then you just saw total red mist and he absolutely hammered him, I thought. It looked like just below the knee. And the players all ran in, which, which that reaction's always, you know, oh, that's a bad one. And then the ref just books him. And uh, I got a lot of abuse from Montrose fans. But it, to me, it looked like a, a stick-on, but obviously it wasn't given. Interesting and, fact. And not, that, that's the same referee that sent off Dan Higgins against, uh, was it Airdrie away? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that was going to change the game. It, it, it may well have, because we were playing quite well at the time, it might not have. But it, it was weak refereeing, I thought. Really weak. 
Yeah, which I was about, that. I think it was probably just after that, that or just before it, that Connell had that really good chance with a one-on-one. You know, so in another day, we could have been one up and they're down to 10 men. But again, that doesn't excuse that second half performance, even a little bit. That was so bad, it was a joke. Just, again, I've been saying it for, oh, we've all been saying it for weeks, but we've got we've got two fullbacks that cannot defend. I mean, are so bad defensively. Like, I'm sure we'll go into it more, but the last sort of 15, 20 minutes, I was kind of almost making Gordon just watch Mercer and how bad he is at defending. And it was it was embarrassing, Gordon. I don't know about you, but just where you're like, yeah, he's lost him, he's not looking at him, and he's gone every time. And it's like, he is good going forward. And the week before, he was very good going forward, but he's abysmal defensively. And Pat Slattery's dreadful defender. And we're sticking with the same guys every time. Probably no other options, but uh, you're not going to win games of football if you've got defenders that can't defend when you're losing three goals on average a game. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's one interesting fact I'll just put out to listeners before I, I come to Doug's um, Mercer onslaught there. Um, you know, 29 goals shipped in 11 games is a truly, truly horrendous stat and would probably lose 90% of managers their job. Um, but obviously we know that that doesn't seem to be the case at Bayview. But, I mean, look... I'm going to stick up for Mercer a wee bit, having been to a few of the games recently, and say that Mercer, even defensively, in the last few weeks, has performed really, really well. He's performed really, really well going back. And, and you know, I'm pretty even sure I gave him my three points last week, and I'm pretty sure he even got my three points at Falkirk as well. So, look, I, everybody's entitled to a bad day at the office, but I think that really... That defensively yesterday we looked horrendous. Now I've only seen the goals, obviously, um, having watched the highlights. And literally Montrose could have dubbed the Benny Hill sort of thing tune over it and it wouldn't have looked out of place. H- Higgins, Chris Higgins, we've spoken a few times this week, seems to have a decent game and then go completely to pop. Um, from what I seen yesterday, a few times either caught on the wrong side or not read the ball the way that it's, it's coming in. Um, I mean, Aaron Steele, I mean, how, how did he perform yesterday, Gordon? Did, did he play well? We'd kind of said that it wasn't like everyone at the back was playing badly. Um, I came away from it thinking, you know, Dan Higgins had a few shaky moments. Chris Higgins was largely all right until I seen the replay of the goal. I thought Steele had a, a decent game in that, you know, looking... Looking back at the mistakes and, and how we conceded the goals, to me, still wasn't really at fault for them. I thought he largely had a, a decent game. Um, you know, we, we, we just chatted a bit about three two ones, and you're like, I think I'd kind of said, oh no, Steele's all right, but can you, you know, can you, can you give credit to someone who's part of a defence that kind of crumbles so badly? But individually, I thought Steele was all right. He was probably the one out of the back five that you would say, yeah, all right, you know, pass marks to, it wasn't really your fault. Um, yeah, he was all right. And look, before we move on again, I, I think personally the club have, have done a good job in, in tying um, Steele up for another year, Liam Newton for another year um, in terms of obviously their stature in the game is going to grow. And it means that if anything happens and we do go down, then hopefully... 
if another team are looking at them, then we could command a bit of a fee for them that might help us with our, our uh, League 2 rebound, uh, rebuild if we, if we need one. But, Gord, um, sorry, Doug, you were, you were going to make a point there on, on Aaron Steele. No, I, just, I, I thought Steele was, was good. It was weird, though, because in the first half, we, we set up where the, we allowed their wingers loads of space and kept it very narrow in the middle, which seemed, seemed very risky because Webster on one side and Yule on the other are two very, very dangerous players. But I could kind of get it because he was making sure the centre-halves were... One was at front post, one was middle, one was back post, and then the sort of fullbacks cover within. So it kind of worked. But when we cleared our lines, we cleared it well in the first half. So you would, if the ball came in, it was a header out to the fullback area, and then they would hook up the line, and it's right, you know, crisis averted, up we go. In the second half, it was just the, it was a complete crumble because every header, every header out was straight into the middle of the park where we didn't have anyone. It was straight into danger every time, and Steele did it two or three times as well. It was just this weird panic defensively where they all just suddenly lost the art of what they did in the first half. And I, and that's probably, or almost definitely, a complete confidence issue. But it was so glaringly obvious. And there was like nobody, you know, you went from winning second balls in the first half to almost never winning a second ball in the second half. And just everything, like Gordon said, as soon as that goal went in, you just know it's done. I just do, I do not see this East Fife team coming back from a goal down. I just don't see it. And uh, he's saying that it was Steele that pinged the ball straight to him and Trolls player for that throw in. Actually, so, you know that 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 one that kind of black mark against them. But um, you know it was we were in ashes by that stage. It was just done. Gordon, if I had to ask you, I mean, I don't think any of us are obviously going to know the answer, but just and to purely speculate, what do you put our poor defensive away record down to? Like, if you had to try and put your finger on it, what what would be your guess? The biggest thing for me is a collective lack of resilience. Like, it was something Doug mentioned it yesterday when we scored. Mercer scored that goal right at the end. I mean, it was the you know the most consolationist of consolation goals ever, and I didn't see it. But, but Doug was saying their goalkeeper is raging. It's like you know he had a clean sheet. He's conceded that goal, and you know his team's won the game. They've won the game comfortably, but he's raging about it. I don't see that in East Fife. You know, to me, and I and this is it will be unfair, and it's it's not true. But what it looks like is. You know, once we've conceded a goal, once we've conceded two goals, we sort of just give up. It's like they stop doing the things. You know, it's almost like collectively we're just like we may as well concede four. Um, and and that's a hard mindset to get out of. You know, two 0 down yesterday, we looked a beaten team. But last season, you know, we played Montrose and we went two 0 up, and at no point did they look like a beaten team. They dust, they got up, dusted themselves off, and got on with it. It looks like we're not doing that. And that and it's a really hard thing to to go into more detail than that. But you know, just collectively and particularly defense, particularly away from home, we just we seem to just lack this resilience. And you know, we'd kind of said, you know, first half, if things had gone a little bit different, you know, Connell puts away that one-on-one. Uh, Wallace squares the ball 
early to Connell, who was pretty much open goal. And we're one or two goals up. They get a man sent off. Yeah, we probably would be talking about a fantastic win because we got the break early. It seems to me when things go well, we're fine. You know, you look at that Cove performance and, you know, we went up early. And then that, you know, the confidence just seemed to grow from there. But it's this thing of when we go down, things go against us and the heads drop a little bit. It's just like everybody's head drops. And, I mean, you saw Ryan Wallace yesterday. Ryan Wallace, I can't remember if it was the third or fourth goal, but he was raging at it. He was going back and shouting at people and, you know, and, you can look at that, and I'm sure some of his teammates probably thought, you know, oh, shut the fuck up, you. But you know, sometimes you need that. You need someone to be a bit raging. And as long as it's constructive, you know, sometimes you do need to kind of hold people accountable and be a bit angry and get each other back up off the ground. And it looks like we just don't do that. Doug, like do, you think, Doug do you think it could be a lack of leadership in terms of on in the defence? I mean, Chris Higgins is, is clearly the, 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 the deputy captain behind um, Kevin Smith. And look, we don't know what happens on the pitch or what's said on the pitch. We're not close enough to the action there. But really, somebody of his experience should be chest puffed out and showing a bit of confidence and, and talking players through the game. Did you see that happen yesterday? Because I don't... And, and I've said this before... When Kevin Smith's on the park for us, you see a leader. When Kevin Smith's not on the park for us, I don't see a leader on that pitch. I, I totally agree. Uh, I think when you don't have like a Kieran Miller in midfield, you see no no leader in midfield at all. Um, I, I think it's a professional pride thing. Like you lose two goals in that short space of time. It, your first thought shouldn't be that we need to get back in the game. Your first thought should be we need to fucking stop this happening now so we're still in this game in five minutes' time. But we don't do that. So it's that sort of, you know, you go 2-0 down, suddenly 3-0, and it's literally game over. 2-0, you've still got a wee hope. You get one with five minutes to go. You've got hope. Stay in the bloody game. We can't stay in the game. And that's the problem. We're getting, we're getting battered. And as a defender, it's almost like we don't have defenders who love defending. Like, we've got defenders who like to play a bit of football. Steele looks like he wants to throw his body in the line every time, which is great. He looks like a proper defender. I think Dan Higgins looks like he thinks he's maybe a bit of a footballer, which is fine. You need, you know, a mix for sure. Uh, Mercer, Slattery, I've talked about before, there's no defensive bone in there. It's Nobody likes defending, so it's just... As fans, again, throw bodies in line. That goal you're talking about, I don't know if it was the third. I mean, it's... I get that they're scared of giving away a penalty, but I mean, for Christ's sake, put in some form of tackle. I mean, it's it was like it was like they were told it was like a training game where they're told, right, just I want you to have your shape as a defence. They're going to attack you. I don't want you to try and set the ball. Just keep your shape, and they just pass the ball about like it was. And you're like, who's there to, you know, get stuck in there or or take a risk and put in a challenge or something? It's just. It's so powder puff and so we're so easy to play against. So easy to play against. Because all the, that, like Montrose, who are a fantastic footballing side, I love watching them play. Definitely the best footballing side in the division when they're on, for me, by a mile. But they know just to hang in there. Like, they weren't great in the first half, but they know, hang in there, get that goal, and it's game over. And it's, 
it's just far too easy. It, and it's getting it's getting ridiculous now because what you know, what's the point? How can you be in a game big time at nil-nil half time and get humped? Because that's what it was in the second half. It was a humping. And that Mercer deflected free kick just made it, you know, it could have been five or six. And we were right in the game at halftime, possibly even the better team. And we've been gubbed. Genuinely, I, I don't personally have anything that I could add to that. I think that you're pretty much bang on. I think where my frustration lies is I look at the subs yesterday and not one of those is a positive sub. Now, we've got Jamie Semple on the bench. Bring him on. Go three up front. What fucking difference does it make if you're two or three goals behind? I actually looked like we were trying to win the game and we bring Liam Newton off, a defensive midfielder, and bring on Kieran uh, Miller, another defensive midfielder. We take off Daniel Higgins and bring on Osea Bonsu as a totally futile substitution because Bonsu offers nothing as far as I'm concerned um, and could be up there where Oli Adeemo is one of our worst signings of all time, a total panic signing. And I hate singling players out, but apart from that quick flip flap and that Peter the Head game when he came on, he has done nothing to tell me that he's a League One footballer. Um, we've got Kevin Smith on the bench yesterday. Why the fuck are we not bringing Kevin Smith on? We've got, you know, Jamie Semple yesterday. Bring him on. Danny Denham. Bring him on. Two defensive substitutions in six, uh, the 67th minute. And that's what we did. And right. look, it, it, that's not even a role of a device. That's of a dice even. That's just a, oh, fuck it. That's, what, that's how it looks to me. Um, Gordon, obviously you were at the game yesterday. I mean, thoughts? Yeah, and I think this has been, and it's not an isolated incident, you know, but there's times when, you know, we're down. And you think, we can't keep doing what we're doing. We can't just cross our fingers and hope we get back into this game. If we don't do something, we've lost it. Now, I appreciate, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, once you're 2-0 down, this sort of giving up a bit and ended up getting thumped. But to me, that's, that's, that's easier to take if we've really rolled the dice. Like you say, like, look, oh, we're 2-0 down. Look, unless... Unless we really go for it, we are going to lose this game. We need to score two goals just not to lose. Aye, so why not? Why not be more like proactive for your subs? Like you say, like you know, Liam Newton for Miller. It's pretty much a like for like. You know, Miller's know the guy. If you're chasing, you need two or three goals. Miller's know the guy you bring on to make that happen. I'll say a Bonsu. Now we changed shape. We went to four four two. Fair enough. But like you say, I'll say a Bonsu, I've not seen enough of him to make me think, all right, yeah, I'll say a Bonsu's on now. We've got a wee chance. It's no, it's no happening. Um, you know, Wallace had a, you know, he was doing all right in the first half. Things maybe weren't coming off for him. Um, and second half, I think probably him and Connell both, the game just got away from them a wee bit. So why, why no bring on Smith and Semple? Um, you know, you can change shape you can like for like but it's a change that you think we'll try to do something we're trying to get that goal back you know as a manager I think you have to make decisions that recognise we are going to lose this game unless we do something positive um, and if you don't do that thing how can you expect to get back in it my only my only defence of that yesterday 
I, I actually, I agreed with the Miller for Newton because we totally lost the midfield in that second half and we had no grit and guile in there whatsoever. And I think within two or three minutes of him coming on, he, he'd gone in for a couple of big sliding tackles and won the ball. And he's quite vocal, which helps because we were getting, like the, the hole in the middle of the park again was frightening. Um, and I just, we've talked was about that a hole in the shape of Ross Davidson? Was that just a Ross Davidson shaped hole? Or, or, or a Kieran Miller. I mean, I, I like Liam Newton. I think he's got potentially a lot to offer. But I don't really know what he gives us at the moment, if I'm being totally honest. Um, because he's not... He doesn't do anything going forward. And he isn't that hard, man. He, he, he was... See, the first 10, 15 minutes, he was good because he was a nuisance and he got himself about. But I just don't know. I don't know what he offers, especially alongside McManus. I don't know what the offer is of two at all. But I, I'm guessing Miller maybe wasn't fit to start, so that's fine. So I got that substitution. But I agree, like, Wallace was shite all game, really poor. He looked, not off it, but he, I, I love Ryan Wallace, we all do. But he occasionally has that I'm a greedy bastard kind of game. And it was very much that, I thought, yesterday. So he many times, had his head down, he trying to take people on when there was easy, I mean, that one with Connell, like, just pick your head up and play the pass straight away. And it's like, it, it's... Like he tried this ridiculous shot inside the first five minutes from 50 yards trying to lob the keeper, which is fine, but he, ha- he he just has those games. And I actually thought when he was going mental, it wasn't the right thing. It was not the right way to go about it. For a guy that's just come back, I think if I was a teammate there, you'd be like, you know, where the fuck are you being this season? And I know it's nice, it's, you know, circumstances dictate that, but I thought, yeah, I thought he was very poor and... But I agree, when you've got guys, Smith Smith should come on every game, I think, at some point, Indeed. because he's got he's got the ability just to, especially when you're winning, he's got the ability just to slow down to get, you know, with a bit of skill, take it into areas where we're up the park and ease the pressure on the defence. And he's, he's just got that little bit of class that a lot of our players don't have. But, yeah, look, the substitute, I, 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 I don't think it's a substitute substitution thing I think it's just as soon as we lose a goal we're fucked we're done and it's too easy to do that and I know the proactive side of you because I would never have said we should have changed anything before we lost the goal because we were right in the game so tactically I don't think it was wrong I just think there's a huge issue and that goes from both on the park and off the park of that leadership thing where nobody will take that team by the scruff of the neck and just go Right, boys, roll your fucking sleeves up and let's get someone out of this game. Do you know what I mean? Like, go and, go and sit. I was saying, because at halftime, nil-nil, I was like, I would bite your hand off for a nil-nil, a clean sheet and a point in Montrose. And just that grit and determination to want to defend, but we don't have defenders. I, th- I think we don't have defenders is a bit harsh, but, I mean, I get your point, particularly away from home. And, but we don't, like, we don't, Lee. Look, I mean, we're going back to the goal. Hold on, before, the, before you went that, Anne Steele's not a defender. No, and still no, no, Yeah, I know, I know. But collectively, of the five, you're lucky if two of them are playing like defenders at the moment. I mean, that first goal, how any defender, and whether it's Mercer or anyone, just stand there and watch, let a guy shoot. I mean, yeah. the, the first thing as a defender you would do is, I'm going to block this ball with every inch of my body available. And it's like you just went, oh, well, oh, it's a goal. I mean, it's, it, fuck that. That's, that's not good enough. Yeah, it's it, like it, the, 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 unwilling to defend. Well, it's, yeah, like no, it's like that it's defensive. It's like that defensive instinct. It's like you know, when you go out and you play football, is 
is defending the thing that you like to do the best. You're no really interested in, you know, there's guys out there who, who hate defending. You know, when you're playing football at school and for kickabouts and stuff, you know, there's guys who want to score all the goals and hang about up front. And there are guys who just fucking love defending. You know, that, that's what they like doing. And, you know, they're happy. I mean, like, when I played, I played in defence. and I mean, I was shy. But I liked defending better than the other stuff. So games where, like, we were under pressure and having to defend a lot, I was like, I love this. I actually love doing this. And, you know, you can see with some players, they might play at the back, but you get that impression that that's not, like, that's not what they love doing. You look at Steele and you think he does. You know, he's, he seems to have that defender's instinct. He wants to defend. He'd be happy, you know, defending for 90 minutes. He'd, he'd enjoy that. But it's, I think too many of the players, that's not them. I think what you guys are both sort of pointing in the direction of, again, is, is probably Slattery and, and Mercer, because I think that obviously I, I can't say enough about Dan Higgins because I, I don't ever seem to catch the games that he plays for 90 minutes. I seem to miss them, so I can't give an honest opinion on him yet. But, you know, Chris Higgins for me is, is a when fit and maybe three years ago or two years ago even, an incredible defender. You know, it's, it's no secret we tried to get McGeever in the, the summer and, the, the, you know, there was no money there and, and you'd be signed for, for Dumbarton. And we tried to get Gregor Buchanan and we clearly tried to get players that um, would improve this defence and it's not come off. Now, whether that's down to Darren, whether that's down to the board, you know, whether Darren isn't able to sell the club to people or is it financial, none of us know the answer to that. We don't. But... You're right, as a defensive unit, we are not good enough. And, you know, I say to Kevin Smith and I say to Pat Slattery, Darren Young has signed every one of these players. Now, whether he's panic signed them or whether he's, he's, he's researched and that's the players he wanted, you know, Scott Gallagher was not a good signer. Brett Long, we've let go and is having this, by all accounts, the season of his life up at Peterhead. And what man in the match yesterday? You know, you let a player like Longo bring in Gallagher. You know, these are all decisions that Darren's consciously made and they're not good enough. The players that we brought in the summer, I'm sorry, you know, Connell, definitely a good player. And, you know, but it's only alone. Semple, Flash is a good player in there. Miller, you know, he's decent enough. McManus, for me, not a good enough player. Um, you know, Sean Brown. I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to go into that again. Um, so, uh, Doug, I, I know I don't want to offend your hero, but I mean, you, you look at and I say a bond to it again. I'm, I'm going to say again is is not a player whatsoever. And Darren's got to be held accountable at some point. And I think that the point that I'm frustrated is is if this was any other team in the league, aside and maybe Clyde who seem to be fairly loyal to Danny Lennon, their manager would be gone. And the fact that we've not sacked Darren really concerns me on two levels, and I'll, I'll mention them both. The first one is, why not? And the reason why I think, or the reason that I'm confused is, is, is I had, there was a post on Pine Bovril that basically states that we gave Darren a, a shite budget, and then all of a sudden went, oh, right, we'll be able to give a good budget now. From what I've heard, it's because we weren't sure if fans were getting back in or if obviously there's going to be no hospitality until now. So we aired our budget on the side of caution. But when we seen the money that our teams around us were spending, early doors, by the way, 
we should have been more reactive in the transfer market and we weren't. Are they saying to Darren, look, we effed up here, we are going to give you yeah, a wee bit more time. I will give you till January and you can bring some players in in January or whatever. We'll be far too far gone by then for me. The second thing is, is they go and, oh, well, who would we get? And both of the, the answer to both of that is, never fucking mind. Look at the harsh reality that we're facing. The league table doesn't lie. We're four points behind an absolutely abysmal Clyde team. We're now six points behind Peterhead, seven points behind Dumbarton and Alawa, who, who got an absolute resounding win against Queen's Park today, a 5-2 throw-in of the, the league leaders. And we're not in any position that I think that we're going to be able to pull off a result like that. Coverside was a good home result, but something's got to change and the buck's got to stop somewhere. Now, I'm not asking for a Falkirk-esque Q&A. I'm not asking for a fucking Dunfermline-esque statement. But something needs to change. And for me, that, that change needs to be made now. And this needed to be made three weeks ago. And it hasn't. And I'm pissed off and I'm hurting because there's no communication, nothing public. And it's like, we're just going to accept this. And we expect the fans to accept this. And it's not acceptable. It's not. So, I mean, I agree. Um, so if you go back, say, two weeks ago, now, this is like hypothetical stuff, but if the board, you know, if what they'd, you know, they're seeing results and they're not good, and so they're having to think about this stuff. If their thinking was, like you said, look, actually, maybe in hindsight, we've fucked up a little, and, you know, maybe we didn't, we didn't give you the budget to compete, and we didn't realise that basically everyone else was going to be spending a bit more and maybe we fucked up in holding that back until you couldn't use it. Now, maybe the board have, you know, internally among themselves said, I look, we've actually not given Darren Young the resources that he needed to kind of go and compete. And maybe they've said, look, we've also been pretty unlucky with injuries. There's some key players there. And, you know, Dan could say, look, I, if even with the squad I've got, if I had Murdoch, if I had... Davidson, if I'd had Wallace for the start, if I'd had Connell fit for the start, I think we'd be in a different position. And maybe the board have said, I agree with that. I think you're right. Maybe we need to, you know, it's it's tough and we might need to stick it out, but maybe we just need to wait until some of these guys are back. If it, if it two weeks ago, before the Cove game, you'd sat down and you'd kind of agreed these things, you'd said, yeah, actually, that that explains some of the bad results we've got, we've had. And so, you know, we're not going to get rid of the manager. We're going to stick by him. And part of that is us saying, maybe we've not given him what he needed. And part of it is saying, it's a bit of bad luck. Wait till you get these players back. Now, then we played Cove. And obviously, we got Wallace back. We got Connell back. We looked really good. And we've gone up to Montrose and got done in. But those two results in themselves, I think if, if someone had said, look, you're playing Cove at home, Montrose away, would you take three points for them? you go, aye. So I can kind of see, you know, if if you've come to this decision that actually, no saying it's perfect, but there are there are real reasons why, you know, it's not been easy. It's not it's not a hundred percent just at Dan's kind of doorstep. It's not like it's not like he's got the the resources of a lot of these other clubs in the league, and so we understand why we're getting these results. So I think. 
the Montrose game itself, to me, is as much a tough one as is it to take. And it, as much as you can see a lot of the problems in that Montrose game that we've been complaining about for ages, this game wouldn't be the one, to me, to say, aye, right, let's change our mind, let's bin him. Um, it just wouldn't. Um, if you've decided... If you've decided two weeks ago to stick with him, I think you've got to stick with him now. I mean, the, the Montrose game doesn't doesn't sort that. Um, you know, we don't know what the board think of it. We don't know what their reasons are. That's the point. Um, that, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I don't think they're going to come out and say, you know, one. I think whatever happened, I will guarantee the board will not come out and say, ah, "We fucked up." But why um, not? Well, I. I would argue that maybe they should think about it. I just don't I, think they will. Part of the reason I don't think they will are, you know, you, you hear some things, you see some of the responses on Pine Bovril, and I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the character of the board. I don't, I, I you know, everything I know, I don't think they'll come out and, and talk that openly, um, either to kind of deny those things or confirm them. I just... And and part of it's human nature. People don't come out and admit when they got when they got things wrong. They just don't do it. I think they should come and clarify it, but I just don't think they will. Doug, do you not think that it would give you a bit more respect? Well, not I wouldn't say that I don't respect the board, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But if they have fucked up with the whole budget thing, do you not think that they would get a bit more patience, understanding, call it whatever you want? from the fans where they go, look, we're going to be honest here. This is the situation. There's been rumours at X, Y, and Z. Yes, we understated the budget because the um, we weren't sure about fans getting back in. We weren't sure about hospitality. These things which bring us in a, a substantial amount of money across our football season that allows us to have a, a, a bit more of an inflated budget that gave us more to compete. We've erred on the side of caution because fundamentally the sustainability of the football club has got is, is more important than anything else. And that's why we're sticking with Darren. We still believe that if we gave him the right amount of money, we would be in a, a healthier position. But due to injuries and due to this, we're not. So we're backing Darren to turn us around. End of discussion. I think every fan would turn around and go, you want to know what? We totally understand that COVID times have been difficult to navigate. We know there's not been a substantial amount of money coming in. Well, well we give a wee bit of more understanding around that. I, th- I mean, for me, for me, the bottom line at the moment is no matter which way you're looking at it, the board are letting the fans down big time. Because if they've made an arse of the budget, they've let the fans down and the club down. If they're not pulling the plug on Darren because we're waiting on us getting Stuart Murdoch back, they're letting the fans down. Because the bottom line for me at the moment is it's the manner of which we're losing football games now. Agreed. So you, you can't... I agree with what Gordon's saying. If they decided they're backing them, you know, Cove win and then Montrose defeat, that's fine. But every game that goes by and you start going, well, you know, if Dumbarton next week's huge. If we win that, we're kind of back. But if we lose that, like we did against Clyde, you're you're four or five weeks behind schedule of when you should have bitten the bullet. So they're let they are letting the fans down big time, and I, I think we can all sort of sympathise that it is definitely not an easy job being on a board of a lower league Scottish football team, let alone one that 
doesn't really have the financial clout to compete with pretty much every other team in the division. But it's that transparency we talk about all the time. I, I would actually quite enjoy the rest of this season if I knew that we had comfortably the worst budget in the league, comfortably this and that, and we're going to fight our arses off to try and stay up. I'd probably quite enjoy it because maybe it's the defending instinct in me that our players lack, where you're like, right, I'm up for the fight, let's do this. But the longer it goes on, and the, I just think it, there's an, it feels like an arrogance about it. Like, we know what we're doing. We don't need to tell anyone what's happening. Well, you're fucking this up big time, and the buck, absolute buck, is going to lay on you. And at the moment, they're bottling this. They're absolutely bottling it. Because they should have sacked him weeks ago, for me. And after the way of... I just don't see any other way of doing it. I, I think Dan has to go. And if they've made the mistake, they'll apologise to him privately and say, we've made an arse of it, I get that, but we're still going to have to let you go. Because the bottom line is, we're going to get relegated, as it stands. There's no... there's no, And it's so easy... Sorry, there's a huge ramble now. It's so easy to say, when you look at that league, and I did it last night, where you go, if we beat Dumbarton on Saturday and results go away, it starts getting a bit tighter and you're like, maybe you're only four points off third bottom. But we can't keep looking at it like that because eventually that's going to well, go. Well, we fucking can't because we can't get a win away from home. Right? No, I know, I know, I, absolutely. But I'm, what I'm meaning is that eventually you'll get to that point where you go, shit, we're nine points adrift now. Or, you know, or we're 14 points away from fourth, third or fourth bottom and you get so detached. But I just, yeah, I, I think it's like everyone's run out of ideas. Yeah. And, and, and the... Normally you would say they've got a hard decision to make. I just don't think they do. I don't think it is a hard decision. I think for every East Fife fan, I'm, I think pretty much every East Fife fan, even your Scott Youngs of the world who are ardent, that, I think the time's come where if they sat down Young tonight, every single one of us would go, okay, good, let's go. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, we've not, we've not had hard decisions to make. As a, they've not as a board for years. Well, you've got one to make now. Fucking make it because we're going to get relegated. And, and then you're that one season away. Like we keep going on about about being the you know life being sucked out of you completely. So act now. Don't bottle it. Again, really difficult to disagree with that. And look, I'm I'm going to come out and say it again. Darren Young's been a great manager for East Fife, and I'll I'll stand on that soapbox till the end of time. I really will. That of what Darren Young delivered in his time at East Fife has been the most enjoyable time for me as an East Fife fan, really. Um, apart from, obviously, the, the league that we romped with um, Dave Bakey, the, the Gary Naismith season, and the Jim Moffat season, those three seasons aside, in 20-odd years, I've never enjoyed supporting East Fife as much as I have under Darren Young with cup runs and big wins against the Rovers, beating Cowdenbeath in the cup. All these things has been amazing. But the tides turned, times have changed, things aren't good. And, you know, you, you've got to, to accept responsibility, like I've said already, for the players he's brought in, for, you know, the, the, the manner and the defeats, the, the, the post-match interviews, which honestly make me want to smash my face off a wall every time. Because when I look at them, what... I wouldn't take Gary Naismith back at all, right? And, I, and that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, when Gary Naismith got interviewed after we got beat, he looked hurt. 
you could tell he was hurt and he would tell he was seething and he would come out and he'd be like, it wasn't good enough. You know, that there's players in there, they need to, because I actually remember a post-match interview, they need to hurt like I'm hurting. And you want to know what, you would, you would just be like, fucking yes, Gary, come on. Like, and you had that belief in him. But Darren comes in, he's like, I know, well, you know, we didn't get a penalty and, and we didn't quite score that goal and, you know, we need to take our chances better. We need to defend. Well, fucking no. Like, everybody watching the game can see that. Take some onus, take some ownership and go, the way that I set the team up today wasn't acceptable. Not, I well, you know, been working on set pieces and training and, you know, it looks like we're going to need to do that again. Yes, we will. Because Dumbarton come around next week and McGeever's probably sitting with a half chub right now knowing that he's going to score twice. And that's fact. You know, they, they've got three players out next season. Ross McLean, Gregor Buchanan, Andrew Gagan. Three great players for them and they'll still comfortably beat us at Bayview next week. And, and that's uh, what... Again, that's my point, and I've just done a Doug-esque rant, but the, the frustration for me is boiling over. And, you know, I was an Arden Young fan. You know, I, I, I stood up when everybody wanted them gone last um, last season after we didn't make the playoffs. I really threw my weight behind them, and that's a lot of weight. <laughs> so, it's, I, uh, look, I think it's the same for me. It's, it's not about saying that he's a bad manager, because... We have had some really good times, some really good seasons, some brilliant results under him. But sometimes, you know, sometimes you're the right guy for the job and sometimes you're not. And we're in a different situation now than we were two years ago. Um, the league around us has changed. The squad we've got has changed. Potentially the budget we've got has changed. And I think we need to react to that. And, and, and maybe he's not that guy. Maybe he was the guy before and maybe he can go and be the guy somewhere else but I think sometimes you just have that sometimes you're sometimes you're the right man for the right club at the right time and sometimes you're not and I think just because you were the right man two years ago or alternatively we are where we are in Scottish football now with money and everything else in terms of you know we've had that two three seasons as a battling for playoffs league one team but you know, everyone with resources and whatnot's caught up with us, and now we're now we are where we are. And and you know whether they look at it and go, this season was always going to be a bit of a disaster, but a bit he's our guy to bring us back up. I mean, going slightly back to what you said, Lee, I always think we need to remember that Dave Bakey, we won the league below Gary Naismith, we won the league below. They're yeah. always going to be good times because when you're winning, it's good fun. Dan's taking us to our highest place and, you know, steadily being in that position for, you know, a couple, two or three years now. And it is very good, but something's caught up with them, whether it's, I, I mean, I firmly think it's because we've got no money at all uh, and, and, and therefore we can't compete. But it, he's lost, he's lost the ability to change things, whether, it, I almost think for him, it would be a good thing for him to not be there because he, he just, even like on the we talk about on the touchline stuff, it's just it's too easy to blame individual mistakes. And obviously, when you've not got players that you can bring in instead of these guys, it's difficult. But I just think everything's fallen flat, and for everyone's sake, there needs to be a change. Yeah, I mean the relationship with the fans is essentially non-existent now, um, and that's one thing that Gary Neesmith did is he he 
sort of brought the fans back in love with the club after the whole Lee Murray fiasco thing. Um, you know, Darren, after um, but even Barry did a, a decent job at sort of the, the continuity of that. And Darren sort of rode in the coattails off that and did a good job in terms of the results, etc., to keep that going. I don't know that Darren has the character to lead us out of this mess. Um, I think that the players clearly still play for him, and that's evident. They obviously see something that we as fans don't. Well, Doug, you know, they, they clearly do because, you know, they wouldn't have put the performance in at Cove. They wouldn't have put the performance in at Falkirk that, that we've seen in recent weeks. If they'd down tools, that wouldn't have happened. But equally, the manner of defeats, you know, you can blame individual errors all you want, but it's not an individual error when it happens every time we, we, we leave Methyl. That that's but, but, but if that's, you're if you're if you're fighting for your manager, you throw your body in the line of uh, shots getting put in, you you blood, sweat, and tears to do anything you can to get points from. That second half performance was not playing for your manager. It's easy to do against Cove when you're at home in front of the fans and you've started very well and you're two or three and all up. The momentum's there, everything's like that. But when the when the push comes to shove and you're getting shafted yet again, are they fighting for him? I'm not utterly convinced they are. It's like you find you find out people's character in tough times. You don't find it out in good times. Good times are easy. Whatever you're doing, whoever you are, it's when it's when you're kind of up against it. And that's a that's a big thing. And for me, it's like yeah, the Cove game, fine, brilliant. Even Falkirk, we went one 0 up. Yeah. But you know, when you go down, you go two down. What are you going to do now? And you know, without fail, the answer to that question this season has been. Just give up. You know, where's yeah. where's the resilience when you need it? You don't need resilience when you're 3-0 up against Cove. You think resilience is something you could teach? Yes. I mean, not, not overnight. I mean, you kind of get up on a whiteboard and teach someone that, but collectively, I think you have to you have to look at why it isn't there and and work on it. I, I, I hate going back to him, but could you ever manage a Dick Campbell team chucking it? No. Could you ever imagine them in a game where, like, Arbroath this season, who are, I mean, it's phenomenal what they're achieving, but let's say they were where everyone thinks they should be and struggling at the bottom. Do you think for a second, if there's a team, a Dick Hamill team that are 2-0 down, that they just, I'm, I'm not suggesting we gave up yesterday, but fight, no fight whatsoever. I mean, nothing. Like, like I say, when Kieran Miller came on, that was the first time there was, like, a proper challenge went in there. Like, there's... I, I I don't see them playing for the manager at all. And that's a big worry. And I don't see him... I mean, yesterday he should have been at the touchline edge of his technical area going mental at those players. And there was nothing. Nothing at all. I Do just... Yeah. He's accepting his feet? Do you think that he's just waiting for the payoff? See, but I don't think it's payoff. I don't, I, I don't think at this level there's enough of a payoff to make it something of note, but... Well, say, say he's on £500 a week or £400 a week and he gets a month's wages. Still oh, look, he's not going to quit. You, don't, you, you get very, very few managers in football resign. That, that happens. The only time they really resign is if they're going somewhere else. Um, nah, he'll not quit. And I, I, I respect <laughs> him for that. But, but, then, but again, that goes back to the board. They must be seeing that. That, the manner of defeats now, especially away from home, are completely, completely unacceptable. And you can't lose four, five, five, three, three goals every game. That 
it's almost that's laughable and not on the park. It's laughable that nothing's getting done about it. It almost seems to me, or it all it, the way it looks is it's kind of just like I don't think that there's a single person on that board that doesn't care about his five FC. There's no money on it. There's there's no there's no anything out yet for them apart from the love of the club. Because of the situation, we're fucked with ranking, right? So we've not got businessmen in the board. We've got people that care about the club. They've got to hurt as much as us. Surely, they're the ones that are in the position to, to, to act on it. And you want to know what? I am holding them accountable. Every one of them. They've got to be held accountable for this. Because realistically, the longer they let this go on, the more they are saying to us is, we don't, uh, or, or the more it looks like we don't give a shit because they're, yeah. they're allowing this to happen. Look, as much as, you know, and, and this, it's not just football, this goes for everything, but as much as we say, you know, when, when players aren't performing, when teams aren't performing, you hold the manager accountable because, you know, he's the manager, he's the next level up of responsibility. And that's what's, you know, that's what's about responsibility. He takes responsibility. But you look at a football club, the level above that is the board. The board take responsibility. You know, if, if managers take responsibility for poor performances on the park, ultimately that does go back to the board. They are the ones that can change that situation. So I think for that point of view, yes, the the, the board are responsible and, and should be held accountable as much as Darren Young, you know, f- for this, because they, they, you know, that, that's where it is. It's team management board. That's, that's, that's the level of it. But like we, we said a few weeks ago about, oh, wouldn't it be nice to know if one of our players is injured this week? And they've been very good at doing that, right? Bravo. I mean, that's fucking nothing. That should happen anyway. We're now talking about the big decisions getting made and they're not getting made. And having these five fans on the board is fantastic. And, it's, and the people that I know who are the fans on that board, I have a lot of time for. But if you're a big East Fife fan, they should be pushing the chairman as much as anyone else to go in. We need to do something. We're losing the fans. We're, you know, we're going to get relegated. Who knows where that takes us next year? But, but there's nothing. So, so either, either, either they're, they're members of, on a board who are East Fife fans, but they have zero say in what goes on, or, or, or they need to collectively do something. Well, you've seen now, I think it was Robert Cargill, Liam Anderson, and I, I forget the other lad's name, that, that are fans, have been made full members of the board. So they will have, I say, guys like um, Stephen Mill, you know, Mr. East Fife FC in my eyes, I, I don't know somebody that loves a club more than him. You know, I think he's an associate director, so I don't think that he'll have much of a say in it. But these guys need to be the ones on there, like standing on that desk, screaming at Jim, what the fuck are you doing? Why are we letting it... Do you want to know what? It's like actively having a drunk driver in the car and saying, I mate, just you turn that ignition on. Because really, that's how it looks just now. It's just like, oh, it's going to be a fucking car crash anyway. We might as well just stand by and watch it happen. I would have much more respect at the end of the season if we've gone down, that we've had the guile, the guts to go, this isn't working, we need to make a change. And we've had a go and try to make a change and see what difference it makes. We go down, you want to what you say to the board, you try to make a change and, you know, we'll, we'll be back next season. I'll still buy a season ticket next season. But Exactly. But, but we, we, we can get criticised for doing this podcast and, you know, 
for saying stuff about board members or state, which I, I get because everyone hurts that you know. There's no way Darren Young would ever, you know, even if he still does anymore, listen to this and not feel hurt by what he's hearing. Yeah. But we're not saying anything out of being nasty. We're not saying anything just to be arseholes. Uh, I mean, I do that naturally, but like we're doing this because we love each. We, it's a huge part of our life. It's a huge part of our life. I mean, fucking, you know, us driving up to Montrose, it's not like it's 10 minutes down the road. It's most of your Saturdays gone for the love of the, you know, we're doing this because we care. And all we want to see is the right thing for the club. And as you say, we said it a couple of weeks ago, if you go down with a bit of fight because you've come out and said, look, guys, we, we get this season's been tough to watch for everyone, you know, but here's the deal, black and white, with no money, we're doing the best we can. The players are hurting just as much as anyone else. All of us would be happy with that, but it doesn't happen because there's no communication, and and you know there's not going to be anything in the, the the monthly newsletter to say anything like that, and it needs to happen, and it's 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 sad to be honest. I think we've shown as a, a podcast collective how much we care about the club. You know the money that we've put in, you know out of our own pockets, out, out of getting in sponsorship for the shows to then put into the pocket of the club the fundraisers we've done, you know, we've, we've done a lot. And, you know, it gets to the point where, like, my head was in my hands yesterday at full time, you know, granted, albeit at work. It, it hurts. It really, really hurts. And you look at the, the Scottish Cup draw, which we'll come on to in a minute, and you're like, that's not going to be an easy draw. You know, there was teams coming out yesterday, like then today I was listening to the 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 draw like coming home in the car from work you know like civil service strollers don't fancy them you know why not we need five you know we, we're a club with, with, with big stature in the Scottish football a lot bigger than the majority of the clubs in our league it's funny uh, Gordon and I Gordon and I were chatting about the Scottish Cup draw yesterday and when I actually thought back to our conversation it was ridiculous but we were basically saying because of the season has been such a shit show it wouldn't be the worst thing to get a team like from our division away from home where there's no pressure on winning because, let's face it, we don't win away from home, you know, and you could put up a slight performance and maybe limp out. Just didn't give us like a junior team away from home where everyone's like, well, at least five should win that. And that's exactly what we've got. Yeah. Before we move on to some of our listeners' questions, I should probably ask you for your three to ones for yesterday, and I'm sorry for doing so. Okay. Um, but... Gogsy, you can go first. Oh, right. God, this is tough. Um, try to keep it brief. One point. Liam Newton played a decent first half. Faded out in the second half, but who didn't? Um, he was all right. Um, two, Aaron Steele. At the end of the game, I was pretty much like, you can't give any points to anybody in the, the back line. But again, it's like, he did all right, and I I really do kind of appreciate having that kind of defender that wants to defend and, you know, kind of puts himself on the line a bit. And I thought part of it, a few bits here and there, he generally did all right. Three points I'm going to give to Kyle Connell. Um, he had a great chance to score, put us, put us up in the first half, and he kind of shot at the keeper. But at least he made that chance. He put himself in a great position. And Wallace just didn't square it to him. You know, he made himself, he put himself about, he was putting challenges in. Um, again, faded second half like everybody, but yeah, I thought he was all right. 
Doug? Uh, I've got one point for Aaron Steele. Um, just like we've been saying, like, he just looks a very composed young footballer. You know, a couple of misplaced headers, but he, you know, uh, I could have given him more, but like we were saying before, it's hard to give defenders more points when they've just been gubbed again. Um, two, I've actually gone for Liam Watt. I thought first half he was probably our most industrious midfielder. Took the ball forward well, put a couple of really nice passes through, um, but massively faded in the second half. I mean, the whole midfield completely disappeared in that second half, really. And uh, three points. Also, O'Connell, and I just put because he was my favourite word, a wee nyaf, and he really, really got under the skin of the man sitting directly in front of me who kept going, oh, get that little shit off. Just get him off the park because he was moaning constantly and it was quite funny. But yeah, he obviously missed that chance, which was a blow, but he was he was a nuisance. And he, if he stays fit, there is the hope that him and uh, Wallace can provide a, at least a decent enough threat to give us hope. Well, even if they get a goal a game, we'll still lose 3-2, judging by our current form. Uh, that's a story for another day. So I'm going to come to the, the part of the show now where I try to, to bring in some of our, our listeners' questions. It would be very easy to do a let's all laugh at this week, given the absolute clusterfuck that was that uh, Falkirk Q&A. Um, was absolutely excellent viewing and possibly the best thing I've viewed on the internet and believe me I've watched a lot of porn over the years um, but that was absolutely outstanding um, I've got I've got a very quick let's all laugh at from Montrose yesterday where randomly two people in the two rows in front broke their seats <laughs> just randomly there, was, there yeah. was a wee boy who suddenly just disappeared and he'd snapped the bottom bit of his seat off and then the guy right in front of me just sat down and it fell it just fell it- through him it led to a, led to a very nervy ninety minutes for me and Doug. And anytime we're sitting on that seat, I thought I was going to be the next <laughs> one to go through it. <laughs> yeah, quite trouble at That was a statement, lads, and, and not a question. Um, but before we we move on, um, we've we've had some pretty good questions come through, and I actually sent this one in the group chat because I kind of felt like it was one that should have probably had the respect that it deserved in terms of some attention to detail on it. So Scott Young asked, after the show is finished tonight, the Darren Young's been sacked or resigned or whatever, um, and Jim Stevenson phones you and says, right, Lee, Doug or Gordon, I want you to take over the club on an interim basis. What would be the thing that you would do um, that would make us a team that we were previously like under Darren? Like, what changes would you make? Probably not tactical, but um, just what would you be looking to do? What sort of players or positions would you like to strengthen? And players, you know, obviously you can look to, to to single out some names. Obviously not Goodwillie or anybody like that because it's not realistic that we would really be able to bring them in. But um, I'm not going to go into to players or anything, but I would kind of, if it was my choice, I would personally be pressuring Jim to help change the structure of the club. And a few things that I would like, the first thing I would like to see would be the manager's position to be a full-time one. Um, I think that if that was financially possible, um, the manager should be full-time to allow him to dissect our opponent's performance fully, um, our performance fully. And it means that in the limited time, the coaching is going to be based on what he's seen in previous weeks, what he's, we see about the opponents coming up and that the training sessions would be a little bit more direct. 
I would also probably look to appoint a sort of director of football. I'm a big fan of the director of football role, and I think that these people could then be the ones that analyse who we bring in, and alongside that, a data analyst, in which you know there's a lot of people kicking about doing that job just now in terms of who we bring in. You only have to look at Brentford um, in the, the Premier League now as a model for that. The fact that they bring in players purely based on, on analytics um, and what they bring in, players that they've brought in and then sold on for, for big money. Um, and if we could find a way to make that work at, at lower league level, then that could be a, a decent recipe for success. I'll give you my signings then. I would, the first thing I would be doing would be looking at a left-back. I don't think we need anybody in forward positions. I don't think we really need anybody in midfielders because we've got 100 of them. Um, I think I would probably look at a left-back um, because once Stuart Murdoch's back and fit in the right-back position is fine. I would probably, again, unfortunately, looking at a centre-half and most definitely a, a goalkeeper. Um, if money was no option, I would love Neil Parry at Clyde. Um, but really, apart from that, I, I don't really have much else to add. Um, Doug, I know that you'll have lots of notes, um, so let me let me hear what you want to say. I, uh, I I took the question in a very different way. I took the question like, you, you get appointed tomorrow, so we can't sign anyone else until January, so what are we going to do now? So I've gone purely tactical, and I know nothing about football. Well, no, no, I do. I know nothing about football. So here's what I would do. The first thing you do, I would be, I would communicate way better with the fans as a manager. Lots more interviews, lots more. This is what I'm going to try and do, you know, as opposed to, you know, make things a bit more positive. It's trying to get the fans on side is the biggest problem I think we have at the moment. Um, I've put against good teams or every away game as it stands, just focus on purely on defending. Try and get nil nils. Make it so if you're playing a five at the back. Your two wing-backs are actually full-backs. So it's a solid five across the back, and that's their job, is to defend. Because we don't... Yeah, we, we can't win games away from home. Play defenders who can defend. Find defenders that can defend. We know Slattery and Mercer are not good enough full-backs yet to play every single game. Murdoch's a huge miss. Try Danny Denham at left-back. He's quick. Like, Slattery gets just destroyed with even the tiny bit of pace and it's painful to watch at times. Maybe Denham's not the best defender, but if you're quick, you've got an outside chance. Try something else, just anything. Um, or, or even just go, right, we'll go 4 4 two, then everyone just knows their position. Simple, simplify it. There's no, there's no right thing, but if you can't defend, we've got, you've got no chance. So it would be purely on that in terms of the tactical side. As I say, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but we're not solid, we're too easy to play against and we're soft touch and if we don't change that, we're doomed. As, as For signing players, yeah, if we've no money, it's hard, but you've got you've got at least have passion on the pitch to get the fans behind it or you've, you've no chance. Yeah, I probably took it in a, a similar sort of way to Doug and I, a lot of the things he said are a lot of the things I kind of thought of. So, I took it as, you know, I'm coming in as manager and it's kind of short-term things. So away games, away games, exactly that thing. You just aim to concede as few goals as possible. And and again, it's a thing I thought about as well. Like, oh, do you play four at the back? Do you play five? Doesn't matter. All all you play guys that want to defend. If you want to play that back five, fine. If we're going for a back four, 
I mean, I mean, first on the list is get every doctor, physiotherapist, priest, voodoo practitioner <laughs> in a Stuart Murdoch's house and get them fit as soon as possible. But you Marvin know, Marvin Andrews. Yeah, get, get him in there. Get Marvin <laughs> Andrews to heal Stuart Murdoch and then get him playing at centre half. I've got a better idea. That guy for the Green Mile and get him through there. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, grab Swanson while he's at it. Just yeah. No, if if Murdoch's fit, he's right back. Easy. He's a great defender. If he's not, you know, away from home. If we're playing four, I'd rather play Steel at right back, Higgins at left back. Uh, whoever fit centre halves we have and just be like you know you're not really playing a full back today you're playing a wide centre half you're just defending that's what you're doing Um, that's a big one away for home at home let's be a bit more adventurous away for home we are just there to not concede and hope we get a goal like that that's for me that's first thing Another thing is, you know, I'm not saying I know how to do this. I don't know who knows how to do this. But this this mentality problem that we have, it's like, I don't know how, how to go about fixing that. I think you can fix it. I mean, there's sports psychologists. There's all this thing. It's, it's not saying that there's a problem with anybody or anything like that. It's just a bit like, you know, collectively, we seem to have, we seem to have a bit of an issue. And I think you can work on that issue. You know, what what is this problem? Why are we... Why are we so fragile? You know, even little things you can do, it's like, you know, I want you to shout at each other. What, you know, and work on communication. Uh, and, uh, you know, take sort of personal responsibility. I mean, I'm not an expert in this area, but there's got to be something you can do. And, you know, I, I like the idea about data analysis and stuff. You know, that's what I do. So I'm going to say, obviously, I kind of like that stuff. But, um, you know, you get you see clubs who use that to their advantage, but all these big clubs who've been successful, I know it's a different level, but you know they're they're all right into like sports psychology and stuff like that because it makes a difference, it makes a massive difference. Now we can't go out and hire a team of data analysts or sports psychologists for a load of money, but we can try. You, know, you can try and use some of the things they do to get an advantage. Um, so those, yeah, there's those a would be the things. To that. There's a cheap alternative to that, and it's, it's something that I've used with, with my team at work, and it's something that, that I really like. And it's, it's a podcast by a guy called Alistair McCall. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him, but he does a podcast which is called um, "Being Champion Minded," and it's just all about your pod, your 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 mindset and, and how you approach things. And one of my first things I would do as a manager is get every single person in my team, from the board to the the physio to everybody to listen to this and he sets his team up or, or in, in life he sets himself up with being champion minded and that's his mindset so I'll quickly rattle off his rules to you and see if you agree so when you're champion minded you start every day with gratitude you stay accountable for your behaviours and your actions you pay attention to the small details you stay disciplined in your daily habits and routines you have empowering self-talks you stay resilient at the times of adversity. You keep a positive attitude and body language. You're always willing to do the extra work. You surround yourself with the right people. You're coachable and open to feedback. You have a game plan and a structure to your day. You never stop pushing to be the best you could be and you believe in yourself and your team. That would be the first so thing. Like a, 
It's like an advert for skill seekers back in the day. Probably, <laughs> probably very, very similar. Um, but, you know, having somebody uh, just with that bit of swagger that and just radiates confidence, radiates that you want to what I'm in control here and, and I'm the, the person that's going to be the captain to steer us out of the ship. But I look at that, the, the team just now, aside there are a few players, and I, I really mean that, like, you know, boys like Ryan Wallace, you'll see her, and Kevin Smith, you'll see her, and somebody that really, like, make sure that all your players hurt as much as you do. And if they don't, fuck them off out of the club. I would rather play the under-19s. Yeah, I mean, the stuff you mentioned, yeah, I mean, a few of those points there, I agree wholeheartedly. And the accountability thing, it's like, you know, okay, it's like you've got a situation, it's like somebody makes a mistake, right? Instead of that person, shoulder slumped, heads down, and everyone else is like, oh, fuck it, you know. You know, that, that that's just ruined all our good work. Somebody's got to, you know, go in. You know, you look at the first goal there and Mercer makes a mistake. Is somebody going over and getting him back on his feet a bit and getting everyone else, you know, instead of heads down, it's like getting them a wee bit rallied. Like, actually, you know, something shit has happened. Let's actually, instead of dropping, let's go up a level. You know, is someone taking responsibility for that? To me, it just looks like nobody's doing that. I mean, even... I also think that, sorry, going. I, I, I think a big one is I, I would be making my captain do post-match interviews. So if we've been humped by someone, I would want, he's my spokesperson on and off the pitch. I'd be wanting him to be saying, you know, whether it's apologising to fans, whether it's saying this isn't good enough, we, you know, something, because you never, ever hear from whoever captain is, ever. And it, it's, it's something, he, captain's a huge role on a football pitch. See, we, we should hear from them as well. You never hear from that. Like, even I, I'm watching the comedy fest at Old Trafford today. I mean, you know, Harry Maguire, who's thick as mints, at least he came out and does an interview saying, it's not, you know, it's not good enough. You know, we're hurting, blah, blah, blah. It, it's sometimes nice to hear as a fan how your team is feeling as opposed to the manager. Because half the time you wonder if the players overly give a shit. They're getting paid. You know, it, it, it's fine. But to be fair, we've also missed the point, really, from the start of this. Each one of us, the first thing we should have said was, Jim, are you having a fucking laugh? Try to get me to take over the team. Get yourself resigning as chairman. Get checked into a wee mental hospital and we'll move on from there. That's the ego in all of us, though. We were, we were all like, right, here's what I'd do. No, Jim, <laughs> this is this is fucking ludicrous. Like, yeah, you know, just mental. Go away, have a whiskey, have a wee sleep and think about what you've just done here. <laughs> Nah, fuck the pay is. I'm definitely ready for the job. <laughs> so we'll just come to some of the other questions from our listeners for this week. And look, thanks again to, to all our listeners for really sticking by us. Our, our download numbers, even though we've been bloody abysmal for, for months now, have still been great. And, and you're tuning in every week to listen to our depressing shite. Doesn't anyone appreciate it by any of us? So thank you so much. Um, on our Twitter feed, I um, said that we welcomed back Doug Perry this week to which um, Jonathan Tippett's Eimler came back and said, I don't think anybody's ever welcomed back Doug Perry. And do you want to know what? I probably agree with that in hindsight. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's a fair comment from a staunch Wraith Rovers fan. So we'll yeah. say no more. He, he follows the, the Twitter feed. I don't know if he listens to the show, but who knows. Um, so what I'll do is I'll ask, instead of asking you both a question, I'll come to you, but each one. Um, and we'll maybe get through them and try and wrap up in 90 minutes. So Neil Mackay, at Neil W. Mackay on Twitter has asked, 
when do we next win away? 20th of November v Clyde, later this year, later this season, or only when we get to the League 2 and can play Cowden? Doug? Uh, I think I think that's a good school pal of mine from primary school who lives in Hong Kong or something like that. So if it is, hi Neil. If it's not, hi Neil anyway. Um, it's a bloody good question. And I, I honestly don't know. Maybe, maybe it's against Banks OD, just because if we can't beat a comedy named football team like that, what chance have we got? Um, the honest answer is I've no idea. But like we've been saying, the only way it's going to happen is by being better everywhere, but especially defensively. So pass. There you go. Don't have a clue. Ball that. Cheers, <laughs> <laughs> Jim Stevenson didn't actually phone me to take over the team, so I'm still just a fan who's no idea, so it's fine. Fan or fanny? <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. um, Gordon, at uh, sorry, Andrew Doig at Doigatron1, um, do the players need to take more responsibility or are they not just not good enough? I... <sighs> It's always a wee bit of both, right? I, I don't think the players aren't good enough. I think we've seen it. We've seen it against Cove. We've seen it in the first half against Montrose. I think when they're playing well, they're good They're good enough to get what we want, which is stay in the league. Um, I think it's not to point the finger at any individual, but I think collectively they need to take more responsibility, definitely. So what would you put that down to then? So do you, do you think that that is a lack of leadership from the sidelines, on the pitch, or both? I think it's both. I think, you know, maybe, you know, it's not every, it's not naturally within everybody to kind of step up and, and be a leader at times. It's, it's just not. And it's not all natural. Like, people can sort of learn to do that. People can get the confidence to go and do that. And it... I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but what it looks to me is there's there's just a lack of that type of leadership right through the club at the moment. Like nobody's, not enough people are stepping up. Like you need multiple people to kind of step up and be prepared to kind of take that role on. And to me, it just looks like not enough people are. Yeah. Very, very difficult to agree. Look, the majority of the questions from other listeners, and thanks for those of you that opposed them to us, um, a lot of them are very, very similar to, to facts that we've discussed in the show and, I, and I'm conscious that I don't want to, to go back into them again and again and again and again and again. We do need to stick together as a fan base. That, that, that point is, is, in my opinion, is equally as big as the other ones that we've raised. You know, we, we need to get behind the team when we're at games. And I think that for the most part, the fans that have been at the games have done that. They really, really have, but I think that now we are down to the the core, the, the the nucleus of our fan base going to games because really anyone that was a fair weather fan isn't sticking around just now, and I think that the rest of us need to to really dig in and, and get behind the team where we can. But equally, we can't get behind a team that are getting pumped four five nil. East Fife board, this is this is where we come to you. You must act now. You need to make a change, and by not doing so are only pissing off your, your biggest stakeholders, your fan base, the, the people that are your lifeblood of the club. And you're alienating us by not making this decision and you're alienating us by not keeping us in the loop with, with what's going on and, and your thought process behind things. 
like I say, we, we've asked for the, the Q&A a couple of times. Um, now, you know, I, I could get maybe post the Dunfermline statement and, and what happened at, at Falkirk would be a good enough reason to put you off from doing so. And I understand that. And if that's not going to happen, then again, we appreciate it. But equally, you're losing the people that, that the matter to you the most. And unless something drastically changes now, that could has the potential to go extremely sour. And we don't want to get to the days where people then turn the, the finger on the board. Now, I personally feel like that the board have done a good job with us and, and have kept us financially viable and did an incredible job to, to bring us back from the brink after what happened with Lee Murray's tenure in charge and, and the board have got to be completely held in, in high regard with that. The thing that I want to end this on is to our listeners, um, and I've not said this to Doug and I've not said this to, to Gordon either, I still think that a whole issue that we've not been speaking about because of how well the club has been doing, it's kind of just been put to one side as our ownership um, and that we need to, as a fan base, unite around this and do something about it and if anybody's got any ideas of how we fix this then please come to us, please message us on the socials, please email us, send up carrier pigeon smoke signal, whatever Neil Rankin is, is still behind the, the ownership of our club. That, that much is a fact. The amount of shares that he's got, um, I believe, are probably in the region of nearly half a million pounds. And unless we can find a way as a fan base to raise that much money, then this is always going to happen to East Fife as a club. Because we need to get him out and then find a way to make our club sustainable long-term as well as being competitive. And, you know, you look at some of the, the other clubs that are around our level, um, some that are fan-owned, you know, like clubs like Montrose, clubs like Arbroath, you know, these clubs are, are finding a way to do it because they don't have Arsenal owners um, that don't give a shit about whether they're sustainable or not. You know, Dumbarton managed to, to wrangle themselves from out underneath the, the, the rank and stronghold and we need to find a way to do so. And that idea as a fan base to, to help us find a way to make that happen. Anybody got yeah, anything? I mean, the, no, that's the, my, my biggest thing in the last few years has been how attractive are we to someone who's thinking of investing in football? And I find it very hard to take off the black and gold tinted specs and be brutally honest, but we've got a stadium that's, I mean, we talk about soulless, that's that's a different matter. I mean, every seat's now the wrong colour. It's, you know, it just looks so tired. We've not we've not got a huge fan base. It's just very difficult to, if we if we go in that respect, as far as the ranking thing, yeah, look, it's it's been, it's been a bit of a joke for a number of years now that, you know, that you know, the whole nine-year-old girl was in charge of our football club. Well, she's probably about 30 now. Yeah. <laughs> but, do you know what I mean? And, and we've never had communication about what's really going on because I just, I'm guessing there's not much they can do. Like, even if we raise half a million, you get the feeling that he would just be like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to sell. And it's, do you know what I mean? It's, it, it is difficult and it's hard to know why he's hanging on to us or 
what he sees as the big, you know, growth thing. But I don't think it's a football thing. Like, I, the only thing I can think of is that if something booms, he's got a decent plot of land there. I don't know. I have no idea what it is. But that can be, be a reason the, why that, that can be the only thing or something like it. Now, that's all it is because he doesn't give a shit about his fife. You know, and as far as I, I get the impression as well, I don't know how far this kind of fan ownership thing that was up around a few years ago went, but it seemed like right, he's not going to take face value. So he, he somehow sees some potential value as an investment, which can only be, you know, he's crossing his fingers and hoping the land ends up being more than the price. Of it. So it's certainly, you know, at best, it's a bizarre thing that he still uh, owns East Fife. At worst, it's someone that is going to bite us on the arse. You know, we are going to wake up one morning and East Fife are going to be fucked because he's just decided to sell off because he's getting, you know, instead of getting 500,000, he's getting 600,000 for the land or something like that. Um, and I think we've all forgotten about it because things have been relatively good in the past few years on the yeah. park. So it's all let us forget that this is happening and it is a massive cloud hanging over his life. Absolutely. How did that happen in the first place? Because because um, from what I understand, it would be Danskin had to sell the club in a hurry and Rankin managed to snap it up at a, a cut a cut price would be how I would imagine anyway. Um, anyway yeah, again, no, I think I think you're right, yeah. But I mean, realistically, what I mean, if you have a look at when Bay, when we moved into Bayview, there was nothing around it, nothing, right? But you look now, you've got all the office buildings, you've got the Stuart's Bakery, you've got the all the other crap there, you've got the solar panels now. How much of that land do we actually own? And I mean, it's not like you're going to be able to put loads of houses no. on that part of the land. No. So. I don't I don't think that we own as much of the land as we did. Now the, the amount of land that Dumbarton owned in comparison to us netted him a tidy profit. Understandable. But he can't he's not putting money into us. He's not getting anything out of it, surely. It's, stub, it's stubbornness. Because you I mean I'm not like a some fucking property investor or whatever, but you look at his five and you're like, you know, houses wouldn't cut it because one you will. You're very unlikely that someone's going to pay a huge amount of money so they can build houses in what has effectively become an industrial estate. Houses don't get you that much money anyway. And, you know, we don't own enough that someone is going to say, you know, it's not like, you know, unless something drastically changes, like unless the situation completely changes and somehow that land is exactly what someone needs and that person is willing to pay a huge amount of money, no one's going to come in and say, Oh, can I buy this land that is, you know, maybe twice the size of a football pitch for a million pounds, please? It's not going to happen. It's not like it's not. It's not but like also, it's in the centre of London. It's... But also, Gordon, if you, if you look at clubs that do get investment in Scottish football, I mean, Kelly is a very good example of it. Sadly, it's a very small, very strong community-based club who've not really got much going for them in terms of ground or anything yeah. like that, and you can get them for almost nothing, and build Aye. your little dynasty as a football fan. Aye. Promotions you know I mean? pair. Queen's Park, what a perfect club to buy. They've just had a mint from selling Hamden, and you can just build something. So, Queen's so they're, Park, they're so investable. Queen's Park, I would say, yeah, is no. an anomaly. The, the other ones, it's like you're way down the pyramid. So you know, if I chuck in, 
you know, a few tens of thousands, whatever. We're going to get promotion, 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 promotion. If you're East Fife and you're sitting in League One, <laughs> that's a cost of, you know, to, to guarantee East Fife a promotion in the Championship. It's going to take quite a bit of investment. You have to go out invest Queen's Park or outspend Falkirk. So, I mean, it's like, I don't know, if, you, if you've got someone in the East of Scotland Conference One and you've got a million pounds to, to chuck about, you can come in and be the, you know, that absolute big man down there. You can chuck money about, oh, we'll win the league, we'll win the East of Scotland League, we'll get into the Lowland League, we'll win that, we'll get in the League Two, we'll probably win that. If you reach five, you're like, oh, I'm going to have to spend the best part of that million just to get into the championship. And then I'm going to have to spend that again just to stay there. I mean, if East Fife were somehow in the East of Scotland conference, somebody might look at us and go, oh, I'll come in, I'll spend a bit of money and I'll get a winner's leagues. But you've got to spend so much money to get East Fife to the next level that these guys, that's not what they're interested They're They're coming in and, you know, I'll throw my, you know, it's like the old tune, the fat, oh, you can look at the size of my wallet, I can barely lift it. You know, they're looking <laughs> at coming in and being the big man and, and I'll chuck a few grand about here and win us the league and be a hero. You can't do that at East Fife because we're right at the top of where part-time teams can even operate. So that's not happening. And the problem the problem I've got is that you've had sort of a couple of years where you're in the same league as Wraith and things like that, and then you see them just... But they've got a guy who's a multi-multi-millionaire that owns it, you know, who, who loves the club. So, I mean, that's perfect. He's he'll pile money in there, no problem. And then you've got like Valentina like, and stuff there that could put money in if, if she needs to. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we, we, we don't have that, right? And, and that's not my point. My point is, is we should be making Neil Rankin's life a fucking misery. And we're not. We should certainly be, you know, because there was a few years ago, I remember going to some meeting down, you know, one of the offices beside the, the ground. And, you know, there seemed to be this real buzz about, you know, let's get together and, and it wasn't it wasn't a kind of like you know fuck Neil Rankin thing. It was a bit more of a look. Let's look at it. Let's let's look to see if there's something we can do to get control of the club. And you know, for football fans, there is a tendency. You know, it's easier to scream abuse than it is to sort of sit down and work things out. But there seemed to be a bit of a you know a bit of steam behind this idea of let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can get you know the trust or the fans. It might take a while, but let's see if we can actually work towards ownership I mean, of the club. I never, hear, I never hear anything from the trust now. No, that's, go, that, that's gone. Like that, that basically, I think from what I know, it sort of progressed a bit and there was a bit of sort of maybe this might happen. And then Rankin was just like, nah. And so it all just went away. And I think we need to be a bit more where did, where did the money go? around that. Where did the money go? Because I mean, I know that like my pet, like I wasn't in the financial position at the time to do it, but like I know my parents and stuff were paying in like the buy East Fife thing. I think they may have actually got their money back. Um, it never went anywhere, so he's getting never it. went anywhere. But I think that the, the probably the best place person or one of the best place people would be Eugene Clark, who I think was along uh, who had a lot to do with it. But there might yeah. be people the, the likes of James Smale or any of our younger listeners, they're probably not aware of the, the whole ownership issue. And it's just something that I'd written down that I really wanted to, to, to read its head again. Because we've talked about, you know, where we are and our sustainability and what we need to do. But equally, we're probably missing a huge crux yeah. of our actual issue. And that is it. Oh, and, and let's not, like, 
no mistake about this, the rank and ownership issue is far, far more important than anything to do with Darren Young yeah. or oh, this right. season or anything like that. It doesn't feel like it and it, it won't get people talking, yeah. but it is and it he, always he, has I mean, he, he will literally put zero pounds and zero pence in East Fife in the next 20 and Zero years. effort and zero time. Yeah, I mean, he, he'll not even know what our scores are every genuinely. Nah. Not, not a um, maybe we should get every listener to give us £2.50 a week and we'll stick it in the Euro Millions and hope to hell we get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or um, £2.50 from every listener and stick it on East Fife to lose away from home and gain Jesus, a pass yeah. every week. Um, I, and I, I don't think that would be will be all, right. all these Fife fans at the ground like, yes, it's 5 now. 5-0 for Falkirk yeah. now. <laughs> I think I think eth- ethically as a podcast, that's we've reached our low point now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I know that that kind of took a, a little turn, um, even for the worst than what had already been in the show this week, but we need to... to uh, I personally felt that that issue really needed to read its head again, and, and anybody that's listening, you want to know what if... If you know somebody that's a millionaire, won't just tell them to buy us, please. Um, or even just buy the the club from Rankin and we'll pay you back, we hope. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think I've got about eight shares. If anyone's got any money, they could buy mine off me for probably about 25 quid. I could do, I could do, do with it. I have got a, a handful of shares as well. I get all the yeah. emails. Yeah, see, yeah, I, so I, I got to buy some and I will sell our sh- as shareholders of this club, Gordon, <laughs> now we'll uh, we, we'll sell our shares to start the ball rolling on a giant takeover, and then yeah. there'll be statues of us outside the ground in twenty I mean, years' time. It's something like it's just something I sometimes think. Like you know, if if it was the land that he's interested in, part of me is like, you know, fuck that ground, fuck that land. You know, sell it. somehow let him keep the land, and we'll just build like a wee ground somewhere else and just start. Almost start again, it would be better yeah. if we could resolve the ownership issue. You know, as long as we had enough to, to you know, to build some some decent wee ground. It's like I don't care if we leave that bit of land. Yeah, nobody likes that stadium anyway. No, I hate it. Yeah, it's funny because because I, I guess we were kind of talking about that on the way home again yesterday, Gordon about. You know, remember that time it was going to be a 3,000 stadium in between sort of Diageo and Methyl Hill, I guess it would be, Ashfield. in that land. Yeah, that's right. And then there was even talks of Glen Rothis and all these things. And You just wonder, you, you wonder what the right thing is for a club like East Fife in order mm. to not just move forward, but just become a better club community-wise and a better club, yeah. more solid financially, just a friendlier, happier place to be in. Maybe the I mean, depressing docks is part of the problem. We we were talking another thing we were talking about, um, you know, talking about our sort of first games at East Fife and like talking about when we were going as a kid. And I was saying, you know, when I was a kid going to my first games, it wasn't like I was watching the game for 90 minutes. I didn't have the attention span for it. But something I really liked was that it was at Old Bay View. And I could just go about the terrace and I, you know, could move down behind the goals. I remember climbing on that like god-awful terrifying toilet block and stuff like that if if we if i'd started going to east fife at the age i did if we were at new bayview there's a part of me that wonders whether i really would have ended up in this for the long term i did 
I know some 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 I know some people will, but for me, like a big part of the enjoyment I got, maybe I was I don't, I don't know what age you started going down. Maybe I was at that age where I was a wee bit younger, and I just you know I liked watching the football, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't stay. I couldn't stay focused on it for more than 10, 15 minutes. So I'd just go and have a wee wander and like climb a pylon or something like that. But but even just stuff like that is like, is our ground one that, you know, if you're if you're dipping your toes in, aye, some people might stay and some people might keep their interest, but the others just drift away. Um I, I think but, you're totally right. I mean, I've talked about this before that my fear for East Fife is East Fife fans derive from other East Fife fans. So it's very hard if you're a if you're a football fan father, for example, but you're not necessarily affiliated to a team, and you live in Leaven, and you're taking your kid to games for the first time. Where are you going to go to try and grab them? Because you've got to grab kid that, that first experience. Like you know, imagine taking your kid to that Scotland Israel game that night for the first game. They would just be hooked as a football fan because you know atmosphere. Oh. Where are you going to go, honestly? And it's a big worry because. If I was a complete with no thoughts about, you know, histories of clubs or anything like that, I think out of all the five teams, apart from apart from Cowden, I mean, I'd probably rather take them to Kelly because they're winning or I'd rather go to Wraith because they're it's a bit bigger and grander. It's a, it's a real problem because, as I say, I don't... I mean, James is probably a perfect example of a complete exception. You know, yeah. someone who just comes along and goes, right, I've chosen this club, this is... Because it's... There's nothing hugely to attract it, I don't think. Well, funny you should say that, Doug, because last Saturday I took my best mate's wee boy to, to Bayview and, and obviously saw us beat Cove and what a great game it was for him. His first ever game of football he'd ever went to was the week before at Scotland-Israel. So the two games that he's been to were two great games, loads of goals, loads of excitement and stuff. Like his dad has no interest in Scottish football, like sports arsenal, that's it, watches football yeah. on the telly. And I, I was like to him, like to Aidan, I was like, would you want to go to a game of football? He was like, yeah. I was like, well, if I'm going to a home game, mate, you can come with me because like, I would rather get young people interested in, in the club. And, and you know, you know, I went to, I took up the club shop before the game, bought him a Tammy, bought him a scarf, things for them to, to remember, you know, going to his first game for. And hopefully like when he's out playing with his pals, he's like, oh, it's a nice five Tammy I've got on. Yeah, I go and watch them on a Saturday. Then they'll go and say to their dad, oh, Aidan was at his five game. Can you take me to any strife game? You know, that's the sort of thing that need to inspire. But like you say, it's very difficult. The one you, thing but that... you look at, just very quickly, you, you look at a club like Montrose, which I think we've all agreed, we've kind of admired for a while now. Yeah. I mean, the ground is just a bit, I don't really use the term cooler because it's not, but you know what I mean? It's got it's got the wee yeah. covered terrace. It's got the Character. terrace across. The stand's steeper, so it's a bit, I mean, the view... From that where we were sitting, going was awesome. Like, it was a better ground, better ground than Bayview. Yeah, yeah. And like, it, like, it's smaller or whatnot. But you imagine a kid going there for the last two years. They're guaranteed. They're Montrose fans for the rest of their life. Definitely, football's good. Everything's good. Everything's in an upward and happy curve. And you, you go to Bayview, especially this time of year, like you're saying, you know, it's pissing down the rain. It's grim, really grim. Like I had a good friend of mine who's a well Dungeon United fan she her daughter was playing in a game at Bayview so she was up and she messaged me she's like what the hell's happened to your ground like the stand looks so tired and every, you know every seat's like a faded yellow colour it's just just everything just seems a bit uh, at Bayview just now 
And it's, but, a, it's a huge, huge problem my, in generating fans. My first East 5 game was a 3-0 defeat at home to Forfa. And I loved it because it was like, you know, it was it was the ground. It wasn't it wasn't the it wasn't the stuff on the park. It was like the ground, and I enjoyed being there. And it was a, even though there probably was, you know, seven hundred people, eight hundred, you know, same crowd as we get these days. It felt good. Um, you could move around a bit. Like that's what made me want to go back. It was nothing to do with the game, but you know, if I'd gone and seen seven-year-old me had gone and seen uh, us getting beat two 0 at home to Clyde as my first game, would I want to go back? I didn't. I didn't want to go back now, but as a seven-year-old, I probably would not have wanted to go back. No. But, but I, I think that's your thing. Like one of my first ever memories of a football game was, I think it was a Scotland game at Ibrox, and obviously I'd been to Bayview, which I agree still felt like a stadium because it was. I always remember walking up those steps and up the steps to a height where you look out on other stands and just being like, "Wow, like oh my god, this is immense." But you've got. Just even the way Baby's designed, where you just walk in, pitch side, with nothing to look at, turn around, face the wall to cross, just everything about it is is very low-level football. It smacks of lower-league football. No, like I'm sure there's advantages to Bayview, New Bayview, in terms of some of the facilities and you know maybe cost of upkeep and all that. But genuinely, I detest that ground, and I. It's like it's a it's a point of pain for me that we gave up a beautiful Scottish lower league Scottish football ground to move to that piece of shit. Honestly, like it, that is one of the worst things for me about be, being in his sporting his life. It's our ground. I hate it. Yeah, again, difficult to agree with that. Whilst you guys were having your your wee debate there, the basically the, the holding club uh, or the the holding group that own East Fife are Bayview Fife Limited. Okay? And I find that really ironic because they couldn't give a toss about us. But the sole owner, eh, well, the sole officer in terms of being a registered company, the company's house, is Lorraine Twig. Now, I'm Aye, sure... So that, that's Rankin's ah, Aye. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that years ago it was Samantha Twig Samantha was, yeah. yeah. The, she was the, the, the nine-year-old girl that owned the East Five. Yeah. Right? Uh, she's probably about 30, <laughs> the most hated nine-year-old on the planet. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. um, and the correspondence address is an in- Inverkeithan one. Which I found it'll, be, it'll be a lawyer's office or something like that. Yeah, one yeah it's funny, one. actually. It, it's funny in the fact that we have zero knowledge of our owners. Nothing. Yeah. Like, we, we have no idea who they are. Could, they could walk past us in the street you wouldn't go, oh, that's the that's the nine-year-old girl that owns his house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's 17 now. Smack on the head with your skipping rope. Get that around you. Uh, like, there's nothing. So it's, and it's, that's what it is. It's really sad and really depressing. Because there can't, there can't be, there can't be any other team in Scotland with that situation going on, surely. No. You would, I mean, you wouldn't imagine so. Although I've heard that apparently Albion Rovers are in a similar situation. Also, like they've got um, owners that are absent as well. But like, Literally, I mean, do you think that Lorraine Twig's ever been to an East Five game? No. No. Well, she's she's got a tattoo. Yeah. No, she's not. No. no. Got a tattoo of Ryan Wallace. Yeah, I had Baby Five Limited. Hey, that She probably, I mean, honestly, there's a decent chance she probably doesn't even know that she owns East Five. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's Neil. Yeah. It's Neil Rankin, and he's just like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll put it under someone else's name. You know what a what a fucking genius I am. And it will it will have it will all over the place. There'll be things under different people's names. She, she probably doesn't even know she owns a thing. I wonder. But how... Lee, that, Lee, that Lee, that's where it's difficult to force change when the guy's completely absent and doesn't even listen to what we're doing, doesn't look at what they're doing in the park, doesn't read anything about them. It's, it's so we could have a huge campaign going, and they probably wouldn't have a fucking clue what was happening. Did he get found? Did he get found guilty of the dual ownership thing? Uh possibly. I think, yeah, because there was an issue about because was it not something to do with Livingston as well? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm having a look at this now. So Neil, Neil Rankin on Company's House. Funnily enough, he's two businesses. Um, BBM One Limited, BBM Two Limited are both registered at the same address of One A Man's Road, um, and he's still um, the owner of Livingston. Um, in fact, no, sorry, he resigned at that position. Sorry, my apologies. In uh, August 2014, so he obviously doesn't have anything to do with Livingston anymore. Doesn't have anything to do with Dumbarton anymore. But yet, we are still saddled with him. So we're going to do, a, I was going to say, we're going to pick it outside 1A Mance Place in Verkeething. Yes. With some black What yeah. do we want? Rank it out. What do we want to do? Yeah. Some old woman will come to the door and go, I've no idea who you're talking about, but he doesn't live here, pal. No, definitely not. But look, we've ranted and rambled on far too long. We're coming up to the, the two-hour mark. Um, poor Michael will be cursing us for having to sit and listen to this and edit it. So I'm going to wrap up the show there. Thanks for um, coming on to both of you gentlemen, um, particularly Doug, although we take the mic out yeah, It's been good to have you back this week and hopefully we can get you on in the, the remaining shows for the next few weeks. Next up, we've got Dumbarton at home, three players sent off. Um, who knows, we might even have a new manager by then, but I highly, highly, highly doubt it, unfortunately. But Dumbarton at home, I actually can't attend next week, even though it's a home game due to work commitments. Um, I've got like my staff, so I'm going to have to suck it up and do, do a bit of work on Saturday. Um, but as always, send us your thoughts throughout the week. Keep in touch with us on social media. You'll find us at Glory Days of Gold. Probably on Twitter is the best place to get us. Any questions, glorydaysofgold at gmail.com. If you're a millionaire and interested in buying these five and want to, to invest in uh, two baldy pricks and one that's hanging on um, on the podcast as your new management team, we would be more than happy to be taking any of your interest from there as well. But as always, thank you for listening. Take care, stay safe, and more importantly, as always, Mon the Fife. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.